Congratulations, you made it to the Xfil. You can relax, unpack your bags, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey there, Mike, a.k.a. MTB Trigger here, and with me as always is my co-host Ronald, a.k.a. Eric. If you are brand new, welcome. This is an Escape from Tarkov podcast where we talk about all things EFT, and our goal is to get better at the game, and we hope you come along with us on that journey. Today, special day, it is a guest episode. So we are going to fly through our hideout keeping and we're going to get right after it. So first, as always, the absolute best way to support the show is to share the podcast with a friend or share it with someone who is new to the game. Second to that is giving us a review or a comment on your listening app of choice. And that's it. If you're looking for me, you can always find me on Twitter. You can find me on Twitch a couple days a week, MTB Trigger on all of those. Ronald, how you doing, man? Let these fine folks know where they can find you, and how's it going this week? Hey, everybody. Doing great. Uh, pretty excited for tonight's episode. The best way to get in touch with me, as always, is in Discord. You can find Mike and I at the top of the list under host. Just go ahead and send me a DM. Happy to chat with anybody in the community. You can also follow me on the Twitters, at Ronald Gaming, and also please follow the show, at XFIL Podcast. We'll be releasing content through that Twitter. And also, you can email the show if you have something that doesn't fit into Discord or into Twitter. You can email the show at xpmedia2020 at gmail.com. My only announcement for this week is please check out the website. We're starting to put up blogs related to technology, Tarkov, general industry news, basically anything that we kind of think is interesting. We're going to throw it up there. You might think it's interesting too. That's at www.xpmedianow.com. But tonight on the show, we've got a very special guest. And for a number of you, this isn't a secret because right before the Tarkov TV podcast this Saturday, he came into our Discord and hung out for about an hour and chatted with a few people, which was awesome. Yeah, and for those of you that weren't around, uh, I'm excited to welcome our guest. So it's someone who, if you've Googled anything related to Tarkov, I'm guessing you've at least seen his videos and maybe you too would like to earn 6 million rubles in factory before the wipe comes, which could be soon from what we're hearing. He's a Twitch streamer, podcaster, YouTuber, app designer, musician, software engineer, and a father to the cutest cat on Instagram. So you may be hearing all of that and thinking, this dude has a lot of hobbies, but it's actually more like a list of professions. His YouTube has 127,000 subscribers. SoundCloud, Spotify. 39 and 52 tracks, respectively, with over 42,000 monthly listeners, 256 cat pictures on Instagram, 160,000 followers on Twitch. Oh, and he's a full time software engineer on top of all of that. Veritas, welcome to the XFIL. I was going to say thanks for losing some sleep and joining us, but I don't think you sleep that much. So, welcome, sir. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm uh, happy to be here. Thank you, guys. Absolutely, man. We're, uh, we're pretty stoked because we're both pretty big fans of your content, and it's just kind of cool to sit down and, and chat about a game we all love. So we obviously want to dig in, talk about some Tarkov, but first we want to do jump in and learn a little bit more about you personally, if that's cool. Yeah, let's go. 
Awesome, man. Well, if I know anything about uh, cute stuff on the internet, it's that there's usually more to the story. And uh, you kind of have a ridiculously cool PC technology set up your room. And you also have what appears to be an awesome collection of instruments. So I don't own cats, never have. But, you know, from what I hear, they kind of get in and on everything. So did you ever have a uh, bad scenario with Susie the cat? My wife refuses to let the cat down in the basement. So the basement is all finished and that's where my office is. My cat loves wires and loves tape and loves Velcro. The three things that are not in uh, short supply down in down in this office. So uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, the cat doesn't get to hang out with me all that much. But I just did spend the last 48 hours literally ripping, tearing apart my office, moving everything around, and it's just getting back uh, set up for the most part. So maybe, hopefully, She'll be able to come down and hang out soon. I got the cat tower behind me ready for when uh, she can hopefully come down. Did you add a second camera now? Do you have a cat cam that's coming or what are we what are we thinking? I have so many cameras ready for this. The only problem is is that uh, Windows hates multiple USB devices. It does actually hate multiple USB devices. (laughs) Start a podcast, everybody, and you start learning about that, right? (laughs) Or turn on your camera right before you're going to record with Veritas and see what it does to your camera. Yeah, we had a little issue tonight, but we got it all handled. Get lucky sometimes. Right. I guess given the... uh all of the various and dynamic things that you're involved with, we can probably go just about anywhere. But I think the best place to start is maybe just give us some history. And let's kind of stay with gaming for the moment. You know, what games did you play growing up? What were some impactful moments maybe? And then I guess there's kind of like what role did gaming uh, play in your life as you were growing up? Uh, video games are always really, really big for me. Um, the first game I ever really remember playing was probably like Super Mario on the... I think I had a Nintendo, but I don't remember... I remember having a Nintendo. I don't remember playing it. I remember playing the Super Nintendo. So Mario was was one of the first big ones. And then I think it was just a bunch of random games until like the Nintendo 64 came out. And then, you know, getting into Ocarina of Time and uh, what was it Super Mario World or Super Mario 64, whichever one that was. I remember those two games were like just hundreds and hundreds of hours just lost in those games. I played a bunch of sports growing up. I played baseball, basketball, football. So pretty much year round, I never wanted to ever go to practice ever. I never wanted to go to school. I didn't want to go to practice. I just wanted to like hang out and play video games. I remember my buddies next door, three brothers, one younger than me, two older than me. They were more, definitely more athletes than gamers, but uh, I remember they had a PlayStation 2 before I had one. And I remember when Grand Theft Auto 3 came out, which was the first one that was not top-down, you know, 2D. It was like full-on 3D. I remember I stayed home from school sick for like two or three days and snuck over to their house and just played GTA 3 because it was the only time I could get the controller in my hands. Yeah, so that was pretty big. And then fast forward all the way to Call of Duty 4 was the first time that I really started to get into like FPSs and online in any sort of competitive sense. There's actually an old website that I'm pretty sure was like banned or, you know, the people were put in jail or something that you could bet real money in like one-on-one games in Call of Duty. They'd put the money in escrow and uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was pretty sketchy. But I think that was like high school that I, I actually made a decent amount of cash in high school taking part in, in some of those cage match games back in the day. 
Yeah. And then when I was in college, a buddy of mine who was really big into CSGO convinced me to build a gaming PC. There's a whole like Brazilian community in the town I grew up with, and they're all huge in CSGO. And I went to college with a bunch of the guys that were on the soccer team, and they got me into CSGO. That was when I first really started to consider like gaming as something more than just kind of like a fun hobby. I never thought I was going to get into like esports or anything like that, but just seeing how it was like something where there was skills that could be honed. It wasn't just like something you could either play or not was really big. And then uh, from there, PUBG. Then I started watching Shroud. And then uh, one day I came across Shroud uh, streaming with Clean, Escape from Tarkov. And uh, yeah, it was it's all downhill from there. (laughs) I'm just laughing at at a few things there. Like you're talking about that you never wanted to go to practice, right? I'm sitting here thinking about Mario Kart 64 because that's the only thing that would happen to me before soccer practice. It was a way to go play Mario Kart before we could go to practice. And then it carried all the way through into uh, college with you. So that's kind of cool. You know, when you think back to those old games, like you mentioned Zelda, you mentioned GTA, which it was always a friend that had GTA, right? Nobody owned GTA themselves. You always had to go to a friend's house. But I think PUBG for a lot of people was like that real, like this was an explosion of content time. But the Counter-Strike story is really kind of is resonating with me. So when you say that was impactful, will you dig into that a little bit? Like, I I think that like the betting site that you were talking about is interesting. But like, what about Counter-Strike was like, this is more than gaming. How how did that occur? So when I got into CSGO, I was, I mean, this was probably maybe three or four years ago. So, I mean, Counter-Strike had been out for what, like a decade already? Like, it's been out forever. I never heard of Counter-Strike before that. Didn't know about Source, didn't know about 1.6. I just hopped in to go with a bunch of dudes who were like Supremes, and I was like, no no mouse and keyboard. I would queue up with all these dudes who most of them, uh, they spoke English, but they didn't speak English while we were uh, while we were playing. They'd just be screaming at me in Brazilian, I mean, Portuguese. And unfortunately, I don't, uh, I only know a little bit of Portugal Portuguese, but no Brazilian. I do a little bit more now, but just the idea of like video games like a sport, it really was like there were plays and you had positions and people had roles. It was just a completely different mindset to playing games. And once I really started to develop some of the skills and found out that being clever was just as valuable as like raw aim and uh, reflexes, because those are the things that I was I was a pretty decent athlete, but I was never the biggest, tallest or strongest. Um, so it was always really hard to compete. But when it came to games like this, just being able to really focus and practice and use my head really worked well for me. And it's one of the first things that I, I really definitely felt like I could excel at. You mentioned kind of moving from console to PC. Talk about like what was different? Like how how did you think like console was, was it easier? Was it harder? You know, we've got a lot of people that are coming from console now and getting into PC like with Tarkov, with, you know, Valorant, you know, all kinds of different games are really drawing console players in. You know, what was that journey like for you? Going from playing with a controller, Call of Duty 4, and I think Modern Warfare 2 is probably the last like serious game that I played FPS wise. To then going to PC shooter-wise, I cannot fathom ever going back because just thinking about having control over the way that you aim, which if you think about like it's a full 360 degree field of motion, something you have your legs and your arms and your torso and your your whole body in real life is how you control something like that. All of that boiled down to less than an inch in your thumb. And then you think about how you're able to have a mouse 
and have all of this room to be precise, it's a totally different level. You know, it's it's like going from racing a car where you have an accelerator pedal that is is binary. It's on or off versus something you can control the throttle. I mean, that's that's to me the analogy of a controller to a mouse. I, I could never even fathom going back and using a controller uh, for, a, for a shooter, at least. And early on when you were doing that, what was like the what was the learning curve like? What was your first day that you used a keyboard and a mouse and you're playing an FPS and you're like, OK, I'm going to do this. I'm going to own because I'm awesome at console. What happened that day when you turned it on? You know what? I think I probably spent most of my time when I first got the gaming PC. I probably had a real bad time with CSGO. I know that I downloaded probably around the same time Minecraft, Skyrim, and CSGO. Minecraft and Skyrim were just the things that like I could, at the end of a day, you know, just like lose myself in, whereas CSGO was like, hey, me and the buddies are going to play. Like, let's play. That was definitely a little bit more like kind of want to be on and want to be a little bit more active as opposed to just like chill. But you actually do get a lot of the practice of movement and strafing and aiming, even with Minecraft and with Skyrim. It didn't feel super foreign to me. It felt kind of natural. And I, and I was used to um, that kind of movement. The transition went pretty well for me. The, the hardest part um, with CSGO was mostly just learning the concept of not shooting while moving, crosshair positioning, and I mean, yeah, actually, probably those those two are the main the main two, because with Call of Duty, you see somebody, you put your cursor on their center of mass and you kind of spray until they die. It's mostly who sees the other person first, whereas CSGO, you have a fraction of a second before you are instantly tapped in the head and you see how little people can move and have to aim to be so amazingly precise. I learned quickly that aim is not just with the right hand. It really is uh, 50-50 with the left hand and with the right hand. And, and that's translated really well to Tarkov, I think, as well. I've been on PC since, oh gosh, like probably like Counter-Strike 1.3, you know, so almost 20 years now is when I made the switch. So I, I have a hard time even remembering back making that transition. But I think that left and right hand combined, I think so many people get focused on the mouse only, right? And it's it really is a combination. And there's a piece that everybody talks about, which is you mentioned that you have like one inch with your left thumb moving the joystick and all of that range of motion. And then when you get to the WASD, if you keep it default, you know, you really only have eight angles that you can take, right? As far as your legs go, right? So there's, there is a piece that's different because you can actually use all 360 degrees on the joystick. So I find it interesting that, you know, you're thinking back to it as that 50-50 because that's really sort of advanced, right? There's a lot of people that come over that don't really understand the power of strafing. And in games like Tarkov, especially, it can be super challenging without it. So it's super interesting that that's the way you think about it, because I agree with it. I just don't have that recent, you know, four years is a long time to be on PC. But for me, it's way longer than that. So that's kind of cool. I guess where I'm thinking about this too, I'm trying to figure out how music <laughs> fits into all this because I remember reading in a bio of yours somewhere that I, I think you've been playing music for a long time. I guess you want to talk about that, but I'm hearing sports, like you played three different sports as you're growing up. You basically listed my childhood gaming titles as well, so you found time for those. And then you also uh, developed a passion for music as well. So how does that fit into the picture? 
Uh, yeah, my dad, my dad's a, a musician always has been. Um, he was always in one or two or three cover bands, usually playing the hits of the 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, like Chicago, Steely Dan. So I, I grew up listening to all that music. And that was that's honestly most of the music that I really, really enjoy and is nostalgic for me, even though it was decades before I was born. But when I was 11, uh, me and my dad went and saw Blue Man Group down in Boston. And I was like, I want to do that so bad. On the way home, we stopped. We went to Home Depot and picked up a bunch of those like cement buckets that, you know, baseball practice, you usually fill up the baseballs. So a bunch of those buckets with like the plastic covers and PVC pipe. And my dad built me a drum set out of PVC pipe and plastic, you know, components. And um, after about four days of that, we went out to guitar center and and picked up a a pearl drum set and i still have that drum set to this day i took drum lessons from one of the most world-renowned drummers a guy named steve michaud uh, in new hampshire one of the most fantastic musicians did that for a couple of years and then i really kind of got bored with the drums i mean i think i was 13 or 14 and you know when you're like 14 how nothing makes sense nothing's important everything's important it's just all a mess so uh, a couple of years went by, and then when I was 15, um, I decided that I wanted to pick up the guitar. My dad uh, is a software engineer himself, and he was borrowed some somebody's computer. I think it was the guitarist from his band, um, and he was fixing this guy's computer. And I remember I was being just a, uh, a punk 15-year-old snooping on this guy's computer while nobody was home, and I came across uh, a video of... Steve Vai playing Tender Surrender, which as a 15 year old, you watch the video and there's this guy with like, he's got like nipple rings and he's wearing like a black suit and he's playing these weird jazzy kind of, and you're like, what is this? And I remember getting up and going to get a bowl of cereal, coming back down and sitting in front of the computer when it's like three minutes in and he's like one handed shredding, just doing this unbelievable. And I just remember being like, wow, I'm sold. Uh, and that weekend I went to Guitar Center, picked up a guitar, and uh, that was 16 years ago. So I've been playing guitar uh, ever since then. I think I spent the first three summers from 15, 16, and 17 pretty much six to eight hours a day with a guitar in my hands. Wow. I guess one of the things that fascinates me is actually the story about your dad and building the drum set. I'm always sort of curious where the creativity comes from. Is, is that something you would attribute to your dad? Or is it something that you kind of developed into? But I, I hear that story about building a drum set, and that's just ne- that's not something that would ever cross my mind. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, my, my, my dad's the type of guy that if something's broken, he'll fix it. If he wants something, he'll make it. You know, he whether it's wood, whether it's steel. He, he used to make my uh, my Halloween costumes. I actually was just got sent a picture from my sister. My nephew is three or four years old now, uh, and he was wearing this Captain Planet thing that it's got like abs all sewn into it and stuff. And, and it was my dad made that for me when I was little. He's just the type of guy that just is he's a crafty guy. He's, he's been building me a guitar for a while now from scratch. He's just an engineer. So he loves to learn how things work, to fix them, to make them. Definitely have to attribute like a ton when it comes to engineering, when it comes to like critical thinking and problem solving to my dad for sure. I know that the, the content creation creativity definitely started in the COD four days. Um, going back to when I was doing uh, that whole gambling, uh, you know, wagering website stuff, because one of the interesting things was it was self-reporting. So you might say, I'm, I'm going to bet $5 that I can you know, beat you on this map with these rules. After the match, if you won, you had to say I won. If the other person lied, you needed to provide video proof. 
So I ended up buying a capture card. And then from that, I was in love with uh, this was probably when YouTube was first, at least on my radar. I don't even know when it came out, but this was 16 years ago. So it's probably around the same time that it was at least growing. I uh, I had a bunch of basically like the worst kind of frag movies ever copyrighted music over 360p video footage. Um, I wish I could find some of that footage, but I think the account's gone. But that was the first time that I ever ended up putting together like montages um, was was the Call of Duty 4 and the Modern Warfare 2 days. It's like every Counter-Strike video that I remember watching <laughs> in my late teenage years. That sounds perfect. I was just going to talk about follow up with like Call of Duty 4 because I was a huge Call of Duty 4 player, but I was a PC player. I never actually played it on console. I didn't even I didn't even know it was a PC game. Like it just never occurred to me. I remember Quake and Unreal Tournament were like PC shooters that I messed with. Then there was 10 years difference between they were totally different things now that I now that I think about it. Yeah, like the original Call of Duty was a World War II game. Right. And then Call of Duty 2 was a World War II game. And then Call of Duty 4 was was called Modern Warfare because it was the first like go to Russia and kind of get out. It was like the one of the very first shooter games that I really loved. I, I replayed it and replayed it. And I'm not exaggerating, maybe like a dozen times through the story. I just loved the story of that game. There was one mission and I wanted to ask you because there was one mission. I don't know if you remember. But it was a solo mission where you had to snipe across, you were by yourself, you had to snipe across through kind of this, I just remember going from building top to building top to building top. You had to work your way through this kind of middle area and it was, it's extremely hard. The story part of the game, the NPC part of the game, it wasn't really about being like the Chad, it was more being a, about being kind of like the rat. And it was just one of those things where I'm not describing it well. I'm trying to remember, I vaguely recall, was it in like the... There were two almost like hotel. Yes, yes. They're like apartment yes. buildings across from each other. Yep. And you had to, and there was crap in the middle, and you had to like work your way through that. Yeah. It was, there was an objective to work your way in and out of those buildings. And it was, it was hard. It was the point in that game where most people kind of quit <laughs> or got mad in the PVE progression of it. I don't know that I made it through all the way, to be honest. Um, if I did ever finish any of the Call of Duty campaigns, that was probably the first and last one. I always just bought COD and immediately went to multiplayer, but I think I did play COD 4. That's the one where with the... That's the one at the end where you have to make a decision with the drug lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like on a you're like on a bridge with a, with a drug lord and you have to either yes. make a deal with him or shoot him. Yep. The shooting him part is a, it's really hard. It's like, imagine, you know, in Tarkov terms, it's like the worst amount of raiders and the worst boss you could have, right? Don't you die at the end, like no matter what, right? You do actually, yeah. You do actually die at the end, no matter what, which made the game, I, I thought, made it good, actually. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm laughing because it, I probably have thousands of hours between those two titles. And I know I'm weird in this, but like after I moved off of console, I don't think I've played through a single player campaign for more than 20 minutes, except for Portal. I think Portal is the only game I've beaten and it's like two hours. I love, I love, you can remember a mission however many years later back on console and you guys are like, oh yeah, isn't that the one with the, you know, whatever it was, the towers. And I'm like, I've never even seen that, but I have the same like nostalgic, you know, feeling towards the same game. 
You know, so I don't know. I just find that fascinating. You, you mentioned Modern Warfare and it's like, oh man, he's speaking my language. That that was just such a great game. It's kind of funny because that's like the first Call of Duty that they just started remaking. You know, that, that started the remake train for Call of Duty. You, you know what I mean? Yep. Like every Call of Duty after that was just adding more video scenes to it. <laughs> yeah, for me, COD 4 was, I think, probably the most important shooter for me and like my development of just my raw like game sense because that was when I had first picked up a pair of Turtle Beaches. And ever since then, sound was my weapon. If I did not have my headphones on, I couldn't play the game. Couldn't play the game. If I was listening to the speakers on my television, couldn't play the game. As soon as I put on my headphones, it was like a radar was turned on. And I used to play only free-for-all and cage match. So the 1v1 or the 10-man free-for-all. And I think like in COD 4, I, I remember, I have it screenshotted somewhere. My KD was like in the 30s somewhere. I would try to get to 30 kills in the free-for-all before the second place person would get to 10. That was always like my race, especially if the lobby was full of a bunch of people that weren't level 44. They didn't have dead silence. You could just pinpoint the exact location of everybody on the map. It wasn't even remotely fair. People were just convinced, fully convinced that I either had a, a trigger macro or a modded controller or whatever the heck it was because I would use like the G3 and just trigger so fast and I'd be like pre-firing them when they'd be running you know, through a doorway because I could just hear them. And those kids I know did not have headphones. And they couldn't, they just couldn't conceive of using a semi-auto gun. That is the most important thing to this day. And even in Tarkov and in Counter-Strike and all those games to me, sound, sound is, is probably the most important thing. Yeah. Sound is almost like an unequipped, like third weapon in Tarkov. Yep. It, it, it is such a valuable thing. And we've touched on that on a couple of episodes, how, how sound is so big in Tarkov. Yeah. I can't raid without swords. As soon as I unlock Swords, um, I wear them every single raid until the wipe. I'll wear I'll wear swords over armor, a helmet. It it takes priority over over armor for sure. If I if I have to choose, even the new razors. Do you like the new razor? Nah, eh, they're okay. They're not as good as the swords, but mostly that's uh, I, I've done videos on this. It's it's preference. You just it all just depends on the audio sound profile that you like, the EQ and the amount of compression. I just like the bassy punchiness, compressed sound of the Swordens, um, mostly because I just feel like I don't hear the annoying stuff like the wind, um, and I do hear the things I want, which is like, you know, heavy footsteps on wood or whatever, so. I'm feeling the magnetic pull towards Tarkov, right? <laughs> it's, it's so easy to, to veer off there, and, and there was one final thing that I wanted to ask you about, because I think it's important, especially for somebody who isn't familiar with your background. We obviously talked about the engineering aspect, and I know at one point, you were working for working on, I believe, as a as a dev or an, a software engineer as a robotics on a robotics team. My memory might not be serving me right, but I think on the first episode of podcast, which is the uh, podcast that you do with Jesse Kazam, which is heavily focused on Tarkov, but also has you know you guys are going to branch into other stuff as well. I think is the way you set it up. But I think you said you may be doing something else now, or just recently changed. Uh, yeah, so I've been I've been a, a software engineer for it's coming up on a decade. I, I got my my bachelor's degree in business and economics and uh, sold real estate insurance while I was in college. And as soon as I graduated, realized I absolutely hated 
just that whole going to like conferences and being like top seller and you have the power. I just it was just so much nonsense and fakeness that uh, I, I just I knew that that wasn't for me. Um, so I went back and got my master's degree in computer science and then worked for a number of small companies and startups. And then for three or four years, I was at a robotics company. I, uh, my, my specialty since I, since I started has been mobile, primarily iPhone, you know, iOS development. So I was uh, working on a mobile app that interfaced with various consumer robotics devices. And um, back in November, I switched over to working remote at a company that is based out of San Francisco. I'm over in the Boston area, um, but that allows me to work from home. Um, which lets me do a little bit more on the content creation side so I don't have to drive two hours you know, every day to work. Now I can spend those two hours editing or streaming or sleeping or you know, whatever. That, that's awesome. I have, I have one just question about the app, and this is just for all of the IT people in our audience, which they're there. They're quiet, but they're there. What framework did you use to build the app? Did you use React? Did you use something along those lines? Like what toolkits did you use to make your app? So I've always been a major proponent for native being an iOS guy. The reason why I actually started working on the app called Battle Buddy, which is out on, you know, both both app stores, it's just calculators and wikis and stuff uh, related to to Tarkov. I started to work on it right when Swift UI um, was announced along with iOS 13. And I just wanted something to mess around with just to be, you know, ahead of the game. Uh, that's that's the way I like to learn new stuff is figure out when some new technology comes out. I come up with an example project that I want to do just as like, you know, just a reason to jump into it rather than just read through the documentation. So I was messing around. I, I built it natively in Swift on iOS, and then it got so much traction and popularity really quickly that I tried to figure out, okay, obviously there's a demand for Android. Most people these days, you know, 70% of the people or, or whatever the, the split is are on Android. And I really hate Android Studio and uh, I'm not an Android guy myself. So we ended up building the Android app. A community member ended up helping me. Um, he did like 98% of the Android app, built it in React Native, thinking that eventually at some point we might want to combine the code bases and that that was something that I wanted to learn as well, mostly because there's a ton of React Native jobs out there. So I figured it's the best of both worlds. Learn the Swift stuff I want and learn the framework that I don't necessarily want to learn, but I want to learn it less than, uh, or I want to avoid it less than uh, Java and Android Studio. Yeah, it's super interesting. Uh, the having I'm, I'm self-taught with Swift, and uh, I've done some React work as well. It's just, it's super interesting. One last follow-up with the with the nerdy stuff and we can move on to the gaming stuff, I, I promise. But you had mentioned possibly doing a desktop version of the app. You want to talk about that a little bit, where that's at? Yeah. So just because of, of the the timeline and how everything works, I mean, as you guys said, I've got a ton of stuff going on. So like I have a hundred more features I want to put into the app. A ton of things that uh, you know that people have been asking for, like maps and, you know, quest guides and a million other things that like nobody's thought of except for me, but that I would want to do profit calculators to figure out what your survival rate is compared to your average loadout compared to your, you know, like things like that. I just, I love that kind of stuff because Tarkov is sufficiently complex enough that without calculators, in my opinion, you can't make informed decisions about anything really truly informed decisions. You can come up with heuristics and stuff, but uh, the nerd in me. Uh, likes to uh, to dive a little bit deeper. 
especially when I'm asked a million times a day. I'd like to know what I'm talking about. So the Android app, because it started later and it was built by uh, somebody else and because it's on a platform that I don't have a ton of experience with, it fell behind on iOS. So now it's really bizarre because I don't want to go and learn React Native. I just don't have the time right now. So I can't really build on top of the Android app. And then at the same time, the iOS app I want to build on top of, but then it's just going to get that much further ahead of the Android app. And then it just feels like it's going to be, you know, so I, I, what I wanted to do was potentially start fresh with something. And I was looking into a bunch of different frameworks to try to maybe rewrite everything from the ground up for mobile with one code base. I ended up switching over to saying, well, there's a lot of features that don't make sense for mobile. Because of just the form factor, you know, when it comes to like looking at graphs or whatever, it's not really that great on a small screen. So I said, well, what about like a web app or a desktop app? So I've been slowly working on learning Electron and a little bit of uh, some other like web UI stuff because that works with Firebase, which is what I have for my back end. And uh, I'm considering just basically making Battle Buddy from scratch as a cross-platform web-based native app. As soon as I can get over a couple of simple hurdles for me just not being like a web guy, I think that might be like where I put in 99% of of my development efforts. Um, It'll be really nice if I can just have it be in one place and won't have to worry about the form factors and deployment issues of the app stores and all of that nonsense. Yeah, totally. It's really funny because I'm not a web guy either. And so people always assume Oh, you're a computer person. You can make me all this other stuff, right? It's so separate. Like, I have no idea. Like, someone asked me to make a website. I'm like, go to GoDaddy. Just yeah. do that. <laughs> you know, it's just really funny. But I, I had one more question as we're sitting here thinking about it. Do you know, does Tarkov have an API that you can tap into to pull data out of the live game? 100% no. Okay. And I'm in contact with Nikita, the uh, I believe is the COO. I'm not sure if it's the COO or CEO of Battlestate, but I talk to him all the time. We've been chatting about different things. I've actually written up API docs because I've been on also on the server side of things. I've, I've written REST APIs, especially when I was at startups. Um, so I have experience with that. So I actually ended up writing a ton of documentation for basically what I would want to consume as an API to say, hey, here's what I'd be looking for in terms of buying and selling and sending messages and picking up your insurance and things like that. Um, So I ended up sending that to him a few months back, basically saying, this is what I would kind of want. And I wanted to kind of help help him develop an API that may be public, might be limited at some point. But right now, no, there's nothing. If you wanted to do that, you'd essentially have to do what folks do when they make like flea market bots, which is like spoof the front end and, and pretend like you're the client and you're essentially you know, hacking their API, which I generally avoid, not generally, completely avoid. I've, I've never done anything, <laughs> anything like that before. And I'm not really interested in uh, getting on the, on that side of things. I like to keep my hands clean. You saw my face, didn't you? Because I was going to go after that generally comment. <laughs> it's, it's just really interesting. I think Tarkov is just, it's just the game is really like an awesome platform for something like that. A lot of the systems really scream some kind of mobile application to just push your progression forward like Eve, you know, those kinds of things. You know, there's the the game is really has that opportunity. So I had to ask as long as we're talking about that. I think this is really good. And I actually I don't want to move us completely off the subject because the original reason that we reached out to Veritas was 
we were considering doing a third party resource episode. We kind of reached out and he's like, yeah, let's let's figure it out. I guess I want to put a little bit of context around this before I ask my question. And Ronald and I, we got the game in late 2019, right? So basically as late 2019 as possible, mid-December is when we started playing Tarkov. So we're fresh. First wipe, middle of the wipe, got it right before the major hype from the drop event. We've kind of just been detailing our journey and our lessons of what we've learned about the game and in the game, and then trying to point new players and existing players that are trying to get better to what we've learned. And some of the most common requests are these tools and maps and sites. And what I really boil it down to is something that you said, and, and I don't want to brush over this because I think it's critical. You said helping people make informed decisions, right? And you, and you dropped a couple ideas of what you would try to get in the app, but I think that's critical. It's really what helped me fall in love with Battle Buddy because it, originally it was just quick ammo comparisons. When I didn't know all of the calibers coming from PUBG, which is, you know, you pick up something, it's 7.62556 if it's an assault rifle. That's all you have to know. In Tarkov, there's a list of ammo in each one. So I fell in love with Battle Buddy because if I was in a pinch, I could open this thing, compare it, done, I'm out. But the app is so much more than that. So you sort of answered maybe the second or third layer of this, but but I wanted you to talk about that, helping people make informed decisions and maybe when and where the idea came from to develop Battle Buddy as an app to help Tarkov players. Yeah, so as you know, there's so much complexity in the different systems in Tarkov. For better or for worse, I'd say better for content creators who want to make guides, but worse for the general population. Um, the game doesn't tell you anything. Everything that we know about the ammo values and the armor the armor values and how those all work, at the end of the day, that all comes from people who like data mine the game. Who did the thing that I'm I wouldn't do. I'll consume, you know, another person's API that has the data, you know, and I'll say I don't know where they got it from, but it doesn't matter, right? So one of the biggest things was, well, which ammo should I use, which armor should I wear, and why? So once I started to look into um, the, you know, the big Excel Google Docs that are the ammo charts, which is basically what like 99% of the, the players end up looking at. I ended up seeing there's damage, there's penetration. Okay, those are some numbers that I can compare. This one's seven, seven more than the other one. What does that mean? I don't know. A few of the older docs, I don't know if they do anymore, would have a meta score. What does that mean? I, I, I don't know. Um, and I don't know where it came from or if the person who created that whenever that was wherever that was if they knew what they were talking about i i don't know but it wasn't until i finally was able to i made friends with and spent a lot of time talking to no food after midnight who is another content creator um he's the one that uh is responsible for basically all the ammo chart information and he was so gracious enough as to basically say hey i can I can help you, you know, give you some information that'll help you do some simulations that you were thinking about and we're talking about because I wanted to know, is it really smart to, you know, wear high level armor or to use high flesh damage bullets and aim for the legs versus, you know, using high penetration ammo and aim for the head and, and trying to figure out like my background in and my general interest in things like science and scientific research and statistics, I knew that the information we had, there were so many moving parts and so many variables. The way that Tarkov is designed is you really only get a chance three or four times every 
five or six hours to actually like have a sample of how it performs. So it's just not anywhere near enough information to know if something's good or not. So that's when I said, well, why don't I just like make a script or make a simulation or something that can run thousands of these things back to back to be able to see with all of the different art, you know, various RNG related things like fragmentation and penetration. And if I can get a thousand or 10,000 instances in a data set, well, then I can feel pretty confident about my results and I can take away some of the things that I, we don't have control over. You know, let's get rid of my bad aim and the terrible net code. I just want to know if I'm standing in front of somebody and I shoot them and they shoot me and this is what I'm wearing and this is the gun I have in the bullet. And this is what they're wearing and the gun they have in the bullet. Who wins that fight? Let's take every other thing out of the equation. That's the only way you can actually say is A better or is B better is by, you know, essentially coming up with a time to kill. Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. If you're staring at somebody, time to kill is what determines who ends up at the menu and who ends up looting the other guy. So in order to do that, I had to work backwards and say, well, in order to do time to kill, I need to know shots to kill. In order to know shots to kill, I need to know how much damage is done to the body. Well, in order to know how much damage is done to the body, I need to know um, how the bullets are able to, to hit the body and how the damage is distributed. Well, then I need to also know how likely it is to penetrate the armor. But then when it penetrates the armor, how much damage is going to be reduced? Okay, but then when it penetrates the armor and the damage is reduced, how much is the armor damaged? Because the next bullet that's coming through then has to hit the armor and everything. So I basically ended up having to build about six different calculators, combine them all together, and make a simulation and, and you could essentially do that in every single for every single system in the game, whether or not it's the flea market buying and selling, whether or not it's the whole macro raid level thing about how much money do you take into raids? How much are you spending to figure out what your profit is? I mean, it's, it's just endless. It's endless. So software is the answer to that because uh, our brains, there's just no way that our brains can can do that. Well, and this this game is both fascinating and frustrating for that exact reason. You can go into the flea market and sort of get a gauge of what's going on. But then as you start playing with those filters, you can realize like, oh, I can really dial this into what I want to do. And the same thing that you can do that in all the ammo types, all of that. You know, as somebody, you've been playing this game a long time, way longer than we have. And I guess my question is like, the apps and the guides and all of these are generally for someone who's either really trying to dig in at a super expert level or it's someone who's relatively newer trying to figure it out. So how hard is it to develop something that works for both new or newer players and the people that are trying to master the systems? Not as hard as you would think because, and, and you can see the two, the two major features that touch to both of these pieces are, one is like the, the actual combat simulation which is let me take a billion variables, store them in a machine and spit out like a player one versus player two wins, you know, at 30 percent of the time. Um, you know, that's something that someone who knows all of the specifics about all of those things can learn a ton about how the different the different elements affect different things. If you have a ton of knowledge, you can actually get a lot more from it. If you have zero knowledge, you give two players the same armor and the same gun and you choose two different bullets it's a pretty a and b way of saying like oh this one is better than this against this okay really simple um but then the other piece of it is just the ability to hit compare i mean that's what i do most of the time too because i'm a visual person so if i'm looking at an excel spreadsheet 
and I see a column up here that has 56, 42, and 13, and then I have to go all the way down and look at 47, 32, 23. Okay, well, that one's six more than that one, and this one's 11 less than, what does that mean? I don't know, but when I can see, like, thing A has three giant red bars and thing B has a bunch of medium-sized orange bars and thing C has a bunch of really small blue bars except one of them is huge. I can very quickly say this one overall is better than this one. This one's about average. This one is not good at these two but really good at this other one. That's how I'm able to to learn visually and you don't need to know anything about how those numbers work to be able to just say this one has more damage and less pen. This one's better overall. Ultimately, I, I make things that make sense to me, and I think I get kind of lucky sometimes that uh, that I think it works out for some people. I'm just sitting here thinking about the first time somebody sent me the ammo chart, right? I'm a brand new player, and I'm like, what is US ammo, and why do I care about it versus PP, or, or whatever I'm faced with as a scab, because I didn't even understand PMC at that point. And someone's like, here's an ammo chart. <laughs> I'm like awesome accounting. This is great. <laughs> Let's dig into that. But I guess where it leads me is at some point you started putting all these variables, right? You're taking spreadsheets, whatever you're using for your inputs. And at some point you got really comfortable, I hope, I would think, with all of the variables and, and the authenticity or the accuracy of the output. Was there anything that surprised you as you started running these comparisons that challenged your feelings based on what you had experienced in the game to that point? 10,000%. From the beginning, because I was fed an ammo chart and was basically told, oh, penetration value is, is that, that's just what you want. It's so hard to say this, and I don't want to like denigrate the people, you know, like No Food After Midnight, who's a, like a genius. He's the unsung hero of the community, and I couldn't do anything without any of the stuff that I've done. It's literally 99% because of, of No Fam. But like an Excel spreadsheet just isn't, it's, it does a disservice in some ways, I think, because what it says is even though there's 10 variables that are relevant, I'm going to show you two. And you just, I guess, have to assume that the one that is the bigger one is the best. And I just think that that's really kind of short-sighted. It's one of those things like you, you're, you're giving someone enough rope to hang themselves, I guess. And it wasn't until I made the video that I very recently made about ammo that I was actually challenged by one of my moderators and one of my good friends, Fluven. He had said that he had started using SP5 and had been treating it very well. And here I am thinking like, that's historically been just a trash ammo because it's the, it's the lowest pen ammo. It's just been the one you just don't use. When there's four choices and you have the one that's the lowest pen, like, don't use it. And he said, well, I put it into the simulation in your app and it came out with these numbers compared to some other stuff. And I said, okay, that's interesting. Well, maybe there's a bug in my app because that's really surprising. Because um, it would say that the time to kill, you know, was like 0.2 seconds or 0.3 seconds. And then once I started to look into it, I realized how if I'm going to simplify it, you have to look at fragmentation, penetration, damage, and the fire rate of the gun. And that's something that I think everybody misses because they're just looking at the ammo chart, not the gun. There's no gun in that equation. You don't realize something if it does one damage but I can shoot a million bullets in a second compared to something that does 900,000 damage every two seconds. If you don't see the, the, the fire rate in the equation, you just look at the other one and say, wow, this one's 900,000 times better than the other one. 
So the fact that the Val and the VSS shoot so fast and the fact that it does a fair amount of flesh damage, armor damage, and the fact that it costs like nothing compared to if you compare it to SPP, SPP, um, you know, you're looking at 900 rubles around and you can only buy, I think, like 120, 150 every couple of hours, which is like that's not even enough for one raid with how fast those things shoot. And then you look at SP5, there's no limit, and it's 140 rubles. And you realize the time to kill difference, if you look at somebody and you shoot them, is less than 0.2 seconds. You think, oh, wow. Like, it, was, it wasn't until one of my viewers took my tool and said, read them and weep, look at the data, that I then had to go through and, and reevaluate how I looked at all of this stuff. I understood a bunch of the variables, but not the whole emergent behavior of all of the variables at once. It really is a lot like economics or like weather. There's so much, uh, what's, what's the term? Um, like almost like a butterfly effect. There's just so many things that can happen that will change the outcome. You get one fragmentation, you get one ricochet or whatever. And when you're talking about random number, you're really just talking about statistics and you're talking about averages, you know, so that, that was really intriguing to me. It's really interesting how Tarkov takes in so many variables to come up with this, you know, outcome, right? So many games, it's an RNG based, right? It's I, I shoot you, the server decides a random number to decide how effective my shot was or something. You know what I mean? Something along those lines versus Tarkov has all these different inputs to come up with kind of the solution for are you dead, right? Yes or no. There's another randomness to the whole equation that throws off like the absolute way of prediction is just the skill of the player, right? The ability for me to stand across from you and shoot, your ability to shoot me back, but then my ability to either evade or not evade based upon my level of FPS knowledge. And that's what just makes it so interesting. Yeah. And to me, the, the one of the most important elements to look into there is how the time to kill compared to other games like Call of Duty or, or whatever it's so small because, I mean, it, it can be one, one bullet. It really matters so much more than you would think. But also, it's really important, especially if you're new, to know that works in your favor as well. Because there are plenty of people like me who have been playing. I, I think I've been playing for a little bit over two years um, that like run around like psychopaths, you know, like because we just feel invincible. If you are just in the right place at the right time and you're paying attention to where you are positioned and where you're located and you're listening to your surroundings, one or two well-placed shots and you can take me down with your level two gear. It's like simultaneously one of the least skill-based games and the most skill-based games. I, like I find it fascinating that that's all so often, I feel like I have a 60% chance of winning against somebody who's like their second day just because of all the nature of how Tarkov works, all it takes is like one lucky freak flick of a Mosin and my million dollar kit is gone. Whereas if you compare it to, I think like the game that I played recently that is the opposite of Tarkov in every single way is Mordhau. Um, I don't know if you guys have played it at all, but that's a game in which if you are better than somebody else, if I'm 1% better than, than you, I will beat you in a 1v1 99% of the time. It's unfathomable. It's like an arm wrestling match. If I'm stronger than you, I will win every time. Tarkov is much closer to a coin flip. And that's why when I switched to Mordhau for a little bit um, as like my off game, it was a really nice change of pace because I just knew if I fight that guy, I'm going to lose. But at least like 
I know what I'm in for. There's like three levels. They are equally matched. They are better than me and I cannot win or I am better than them. And it's a cakewalk. Tarkov is, yeah, everybody is really a lot closer on the same playing field than I think most people realize. And I think it actually makes the game more appealing because like you say, in a game where if your deficit in time played equals loss, it's really hard to get new people into that kind of a game. And in Tarkov, like you say, you can get killed by a scab. You can be, you can have your million ruble loadout and just get the wrong, you know, just get the wrong shot aimed at you. But I think that, that for new players like myself, you know, and like Mike coming in, that made the game really approachable. Because we had a chance. Granted, sometimes that chance isn't very good, but you always have a chance. Yeah, so many times I've been running around in a raid and I'll just get like one of those ridiculous grenade throws from an AI scav that should never have happened. And then I realized like my million ruble kit is just sitting right next to the extraction on factory. If some brand new player just scavs in, turns to the right, They'll see this guy. They can just grab my stuff and go. That can be you. You can find that that come up. Um, you know, my survival rate is only around 40 percent. You know, most people think that if you're a veteran running endgame gear, then you're just going to roll through everybody. It's like, no, I, I die more often than I survive, which means if you are just a little bit slower, a little bit more passive or just a little bit more lucky, you'll come across, you know, my stuff just lying there on the ground, you know, so. My head is spinning right now because I, I love this thought process. And what's what's going through my mind is you were talking about on one of the episodes of podcast, you were talking about the concept of balancing fun and realism and this idea of balancing, you know, player skill where you can you can always get shot in the back of the neck by a Mosin to your point, even in a fully decked out Chad setup and go down with one bullet. I guess it, this kind of gets into this whole fun versus realism conversation that is kind of challenging, right? Because there's part of me that, that loves the realism aspects, and then there's part of me that's like, well, I want the game to remain fun. And I guess it, it appeared to me, and what I hear from you is my, my gut tells me that if it was a close call to take a system the fun way or the realism way, it feels to me like you would pick the fun way while keeping it balanced. Am I right on that, or is it the other way? around uh to me like realism is a it's a secondary thing if you have a feature um that you want to implement whether it should be added or not is completely independent from if it's realistic either it's good for the game or it's not that stands alone if it happens to be realistic i think that's a bonus because anytime you can add something to realism that's great but never just for the sake of realism in my opinion I haven't really heard anybody serious who's been able to defend realism is always good for the sake of it because you just got to say, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about, well, no, oh, no. Oh, why? Because it's not fun. I liked Tarkov back when I first started in like 0.6 days. There was no face hitbox. And I think I have a feeling that armor was a little bit better. Ammo was a little bit worse. People were a little bit more tanky. And around that time, that's one of my you know, my KD was 18 and my survival rate was 85% because the time to kill went up just long enough to where it's like the arm wrestling match. It's like Call of Duty. Even if you see me before I see you, if I'm twice as good as you, I'll be able to flick to your head and kill you in half the time 
because my aim and my reaction time can compensate for it. If you see me now and you get one or two shots on me, I'm going to run out of stamina. My armor is probably going to be zeroed and I'm going to be like all blurry and trying to figure out, you know, what's going on. It really does reward people who are prepared. The hard part is, is that fun is not the same for everybody. If you were to increase the time to kill, even just slightly, it would be more fun for me, but I actually think it would be less fun for the newbies because they would just get turned on. They'd be shooting some dude in the back and the guy would be good enough to turn and kill them all too often. It would be like Call of Duty if there was no like matchmaking or CSGO if there was no matchmaking. It would just be people just getting steamrolled. I'm kind of like taking everything that you've talked about and wrapping it into this point, right? You talked about all of these factors that go into Battle Buddy. We talked about balance related to that, meaning the time to kill is low, but it's relatively equal to new players and experienced players. So my original question that I wrote down and I'm going to modify was, is there a system that used to be fun that went more towards realism and you want back? But the way I want to modify it is I'm thinking in particular about this conversation around armor plates, right? And how they're going to take the relatively easy to understand armor class system now, and they're going to allow presumably able to put armor plates in different slots and basically customize your armor. What I just heard you say was, well, if we up the time to kill, it's going to really favor the veterans. And it's almost like, okay, I know that's realistic, but is there really a reason to do that? And I guess I would turn that to you because I'm sitting here questioning it based on everything you just said. From the perspective of building a loadout and sitting in my inventory. It's just like building guns. Like that part of the gameplay is awesome and immersive and super fun and it's super addicting. But right now, as is even just me explaining how I had to build that simulation to really get an idea for like, if you ask a player and I, and I would love to like be able to grab any random Tarkov person and say, if I have bullet A it, with these stats and I shoot you in the left arm twice and the right arm once, what's your HP at? Nobody on planet Earth can do the math. Nobody, nobody will know. Nobody will know. People can guess and they can come close. But every other game in the history of games, you can say, oh, well, you have 100 HP and the thing does 30 damage. So you're going to have 70 then 40. Then, you know, like you can very quickly do the math. The complexity of the systems in Tarkov as they are now, just figuring out when you get hit with a bullet, how much damage is done to the armor. I pulled this up on stream the other day. I ended up like redacting most of it, you know, because I didn't want to show the actual values, but it was like, you know, N times X divided by this other thing rounded to either if it's less than 0.3 or more than 0.1, you need to like clamp it to these values, then divide it by 100, then multiply it by another value, then divide that by another value that you get from another function that has seven variables. That's how much armor (laughs) damage is done. And now they want to make it even more complicated to where there's individual plates. And it's like it, it's fascinating and awesome from a, an engineering and a immersion perspective. But it's really annoying from a, hey, streamer, how does this work perspective? Because half of the content creators that I love are, are going to say, here's how it works and give a really oversimplified, really through a pinhole works most of the time, but not all the time answer. That unfortunately, it's the 20, 30, 40, 50% of the time it doesn't work that people say, I thought it was A, B, and C, and these are the three rules, but then this one time something happened that I didn't expect. So it must have been a bug, or it must have been a cheater, or it must have been a hacker. 
well, no, it must have been, could have been fragmentation and ricochet and this other thing, like, and, and I have to explain and answer those questions or build simulations around it. I'm not for it. I, I honestly wish that they totally would simplify all of the systems just because it would be better for players to be able to digest and it would be easier for them to implement and understand and from an engineering perspective, control, test, debug, and, you know, control for. But the thing is, is that now when they make changes and they want to balance things, if Nikita says, okay, I want to, I want to make SP6 a little bit better, nobody on planet Earth knows if I take the damage and I increase it from 37 to 41, the amount that you've just changed one major variable, it's like a tornado in Kansas caused by, <laughs> you know, a warm front out in North Dakota. Like it's just all these things intertwined. And unfortunately, I, the biggest piece of that is that it makes it hard for the developers to really create a game that they understand and they can control and they can balance. When you look at people like the folks that uh, you know, that, that make CSGO or make Valorant, like they know their systems like that. I have the weird feeling that maybe me and No Food After Midnight are kind of the only two that understand the MO ballistic system on planet Earth. And that really is kind of sad. Well, you were into PUBG pretty heavy, right? Yep. Are you familiar with Wacky Jackie? Uh, this rings a bell. YouTube guy. He does all the like ballistic videos for PUBG. Oh, uh, no, no. Okay. Well, I, I bring it up and this is meant as a, a big compliment. Like when I was starting PUBG, Wacky Jackie is the science guy for PUBG. Okay. So I was looking for the science guy for Tarkov and you're that guy, whether you like it or not. <laughs> so I, that's I like you. that. I like that. <laughs> that's what I'm going so for. I like, you know, you're sitting there saying like, hey, streamer, how does this work? Well, let's let's be real. You're being modest there. People come ask you that question. They don't come ask me that question. I'm going to say, I think it's this. I, why? Because I killed that guy. <laughs> they come to you to say, why does it work that way? Yes and no. Yes and no. But you can say, well, the app says this, so deal with it. I say that jokingly, but I guess what I appreciate and want to point out here is the the concept of fun versus realism versus detail and non-detail is, and I don't think that, and what I'm pointing out is I don't hear negativity in that. Maybe that's too complex or there needs to be a simplification of it because I think we all appreciate the depth that Tarkov goes into and it forces you to research and it, and it forces this almost community connection because you have to ask people questions. I love that you can look at it from the new player and the expert side. Ultimately, this is leading me to ask you is, how does it move forward here, right? Because as players, we want more content. And that's not just new maps, it's new guns and all of these things. Do you think the game is at a critical point right now with so many people playing it, so many new people playing it, there's new maps on the horizon, new guns. I mean, there's 45 ACP coming in with the 1911. Like, is it approaching too complex? And, and I know you just sort of answered it, but like how much more can be put in from a ballistic standpoint? I mean, the sky's the limit, of course. They could make it as complicated as they want. I mean, there are lots of things that are implemented that are largely inconsequential, like the velocity of bullets. There's going to be drop-off, but you're talking about single-digit points over the course of hundreds of meters, where the vast majority of firefights I get into are like within 100 meters. The fact that those parts of the formulas are in there and that those variables are in there. It's I'm I'm seeing it from a from a software perspective probably a little bit 
too much, I guess. It's just you have to do so much more work to achieve what effectively is an indistinguishable to the end user result. You could have a system that had 8,000 variables, but at the end of the day, when you only have 435 health, there's only you're going to see your your health go down from one point to another point. Does it really matter that there's 900 variables under the covers? I tend to err on the side of no, because again, I feel like if you want to design a game and you want to grow it and you want to balance it and you want to be able to have players understand how the systems work and you want to be able to have the developers understand how they work, you know, like the product owners so that they can understand what the end goal is and make changes to achieve that end goal. Unfortunately, they can have the vision about what the end goal is, but I think it's sufficiently complex enough that I don't know that they can achieve the goals that they want. They basically would turn the knobs and say, how's it look over there, guys? Too too hot? Okay, turn a bunch of knobs. How's it look over there, guys? Because there's just a bunch of variables that they don't know what, you know, what they're changing, which is why so many things go back and forth between being overpowered, underpowered, overpriced, underpriced. Whereas you look like a game like Valorant, much more simple system. I get it's not for everybody, but I, I mean, it's in beta. And to me, it's almost perfectly balanced out of the out of the gate. And it's been out for weeks, you know, so. I wonder if Battlestate's like explosive growth has been a challenge for them to keep the game consistent. Because I think I read, and maybe you can confirm or, or deny this, but I read that they had a team of maybe like even a year ago, it wasn't very many people. Or a year and a half ago, it was like maybe less than 20. It's still that small. And now, okay, the thing that I was reading said that around January, they were up to maybe around 100 employees or something like that. Yep. I don't know about engineers. Yeah. I know they have like community folks and stuff like that, but um, but they're pretty still pretty small and and un- unfortunately understaffed um developer wise because if you think about that we talked about kind of the original dream for the game where you talk about like hey we've got this idea the dream right how do you translate that from the two or three guys that had the dream right that started writing it in the beginning to a whole team of developers a lot of game studios end up having this problem where they grow because passion's not enough you have to have shared vision and shared goals for your end product to me it feels like from a business perspective tarkov is is kind of going through this transition of trying to figure out how they're going to keep the game growing with the original vision and, and it's almost like uh, Nikita said he wasn't exactly sure the, the amount of features that were going to go into each iteration that they do or something. He's like, I'm not really sure where we're going to stop with that. It was a comment related to what was going to get put in before the next wipe. I think they're kind of suffering from this going from a small team of developers with a really cool idea that got popular and on probably way more popular and more widespread play than they were expecting. And it happened pretty quick. And now the question is, okay, what do we do with this and still keep it seeming like the game is changing enough, you know? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the way that that this whole thing happened is sort of the way that I approach, like, writing a song. When people hear a song that I finished, I imagine that they experience it in the way that I experience every other song that I've listened to, which is this is a fully formed idea that someone must have just envisioned completely and then made from all these pieces. Whereas for me, it's more of a, I have a piece of construction paper and a bunch of junk and some Elmer's glue. And it's like, I put a couple of pieces down and I say, okay, now what? And then I put another couple of pieces down and, and it just ends up kind of becoming its own thing that 
It's the reason why I can listen to my own music so much because I create music and put it out so quickly that like it's almost like it was an accident. It just falls together and all of these things just kind of like work, but I never planned any of it. But the thing about music is that it doesn't have to be like usable or fun or enjoyable or balanced or unbuggy or whatever in, in the same way that software does. And I feel like Nikita had this nebulous vision for a survival game with a lot of the qualities that we all like know and love about Tarkov. And they just started building and building and building. And then things started to change where then there were content creators making videos and there's all sorts of ideas around design and all these other things. And then they have to pivot. And then I just feel like nobody really, uh, except for Nikita, has like a real vision for what the game is going to be. And I'm worried that maybe it's kind of gotten to the point where it's not really ever going to be the thing that he wanted. Now, at this point, it's Escape from Tarkov has become it's it's like my songs. They've just become what they are. And that's what they are now. And you can do a little bit of mixing and mastering on top of it. But this is what it is. Um, It might not have been what I set out to do, but I have a feeling that uh, that really Escape from Tarkov as it is today, there's going to be a couple more systems added to the game, you know, just like when they came out with med animations and like stims, there's going to be a few more systems and a bunch of new content. And then I feel like that's going to be, that's the game. Uh, I really don't think it's going to be what a lot of us felt, which was what we're, what we're experiencing now with Tarkov is just a glimpse, a flavor of what it's going to be eventually. Um, now I feel like it's, it's not 30% of the way there. It's 93% of the way there. How much do you think the streamer community, the content creator community has had an effect on the direction of the game? Because one of the things that kind of attracted me to Tarkov in the very beginning was that I actually thought it was kind of cool how Nikita had a bunch of streamers on in a podcast type format, literally is saying, you know, this system, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter what it is, but just this system, give me kind of real-time feedback on it, right? Or we're thinking about this idea, what do you think? And that openness I thought was pretty interesting. But then the more I start to think about the development process in the from a business perspective, it's got to be a little chaotic. Since you're in that world, you know, I was wondering if you could kind of speak to how much do you think that's either helped or been a challenge for it's, Tarkov? I think it's probably 50-50. In the Tarkov world, I still feel pretty small and pretty new. It was around, like there were already huge heavy hitters and the game had been out for years before I even got into it. There's been a lot of things that have been added and like seriously big things that have been that have been added or been changed or bugs that have been fixed that have been like the direct result of things that either I've said or other content creators. So, I mean, that's like amazing. But then at the same time, I feel like it's sort of just added noise to this whole thing where, you know, Nikita had this vision and then but it was it was a vision that was kind of cloudy and not necessarily clear. But you say I'm going to work on the next this thing for five years, six years, like we'll figure it out. You know, something will solidify from that. And I feel like there's been all of these other things that have been coming in and changing and that the focus has been on like the next thing, the next thing, the next thing to now it's like this thing has always just been so far in the future and so nebulous that it was always a kind of a pipe dream. And now I feel like maybe from what Nikita said last time, I think he's kind of saying like these things are so far ahead in the future that we'll probably never end up getting to them at all. And maybe we just kind of have to figure out what the final feature set is we want um, for like the full release of the game 
throw out a bunch of the stuff, you know, put it all in the backlog in Jira and uh, try to just get her done and move on to the next thing. But but I, I, I don't know. It's really hard to, to get inside Nikita's head. Yeah. One of the interesting things that he mentioned, and this is the reason I brought it up, is that he kind of said that the project seemed to be kind of coming to a conclusion. Like, like what he mentioned was like the game developers, the original people with the idea, wanted to kind of shift their focus into doing something else. It was a single single player survival game is, is the Ru- whole Russia 20-something. Yeah. Russia tw- 2028 yep. is what he said. Yeah. And, and one of the things I thought was interesting is that they wanted to have like this social hub kind of make it, you know, one of those kinds of things or something like that. If they ever could mix Tarkov with that, I really think it could be a very cool game. You know, have have the all of the mechanics of Tarkov, but have the Eve online experience, right? But not Eve, but you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Have that socialness around that. I, I think it could be something really interesting. But again, it comes back to where do you stop, right? When is it done enough kind of situation? When I was listening to Nikita talk about it, I really felt like they're struggling with that right now. So let me let me take this because I think we could go down this rabbit hole like <laughs> really far. And and I guess I think I see where you're going with it, Eric. But I think the question I want to ask is this. And I, I'll start, Veritas, with you. What do you think this game needs to be or do to remain successful in the long term? If we're saying that it's mostly finished right now, what's so the critical pieces? It's right now, the way that the game is now, it's one of the most awesome greatest FPSs I've ever played for about two and a half, three months. And then there's no reason to play the game. It has no end game. So if it were up to me, if I could take over Battlestate games tomorrow, my focus would be growing the RPG elements, the leveling system, the skill system, making those more robust so that you're investing in your character in the way that Skyrim, I can play, I I played thousands and thousands of hours of Skyrim and I could go and get on there today and start a new playthrough and it would be a different game than any of the hundred games I've played before just because even though it's the same quests, just the fact that you can build a different character and go in a different order is huge. You have to give me a reason and the the mechanism to role play in a way to make me invested in the world and in the character because right now there's there's nothing you know i don't know whether it's the lore or whatever but right now the skill system is pretty much useless the leveling system and the traders are just there to lock gear there's no sense of accomplishment i guess in any of the things that you unlock and when you unlock them you realize that you're really only getting a tiny tiny percentage of of an uh, advantage you know so it's like Unlike every other game where in Skyrim, you spend an hour playing the game, you're going to upgrade your armor. It's twice as good as it was before, which is actually really significant. And Tarkov, twice as good as nothing, you know, as, as we mentioned before. So to me, there just needs to be some reason for somebody to play once they have unlocked everything, whether or not it's there needs to be like super rare things. Like, I don't know if you guys ever played like Diablo. Diablo 2 is one of the greatest games that I've played. I can't believe I forgot mentioning that earlier. Um, yes, <laughs> D2 is, is, is yeah, definitely yep. top three games of all time. But just the idea of like I could go and make a hammered in right now and just start doing runs and just the idea of of that one tiny percentage drop of getting, you know, a high rune or, you know, that perfect 
you know, in 50% enhanced durability dusk shroud so I can make an enigma out of it, you know, whatever, right? Like rolling the dice when you're socketing something with a rune word, like something like that in Tarkov to make it so that there's a reason for me to go and kill Rashala again. If it's a 50-50 chance I get the thing, once I go twice, there's no reason for me to go back. So something like that, that makes it so that there's a reason for me to go into a raid, because today, all it is, is you make the number next to your ruble sign go up. And that's just not, that's, that's not compelling enough for the long run. And all of the new players that all get mad about the wipes that happen when they just join the game and, you know, you guys get to play all day long. All, it's, all it would take is for you to get to like level 30 or 40 once to unlock all the things, to then play for another week and realize there's no reason to continue to play anymore until the next wipe, then you'd know how the game has no end game there. Well, and, and you brought up exactly what my feeling was, right? And we are first wipers or whatever you want to call us, right? But not new to MMOs or RPGs or action RPGs like Diablo, etc. And the way that I'm looking at Tarkov in its current state, and it's funny that you brought up the RPG elements because we've actually had that conversation offline about Endgame. But what I was going to attribute it to is I think Tarkov, the way it stands right now, and, and I don't think this is bad, but right now I feel like Tarkov is in a first wipe, second wipe, fourth, sixth, eighth. And right, what I mean by that is it's actually the Diablo 3 experience is that you play it the first time, you dig in, it's crazy. Maybe you get to, you know, level 53 like I am now, and maybe you don't. Um, but then you go into the second wipe with all this extra knowledge, all of the things that you learned and got wrecked over and now you can do and you play that second now you're wipe. A veteran. Now you're a veteran. And it's like, okay, now you get it. And my gut was that in the second wipe, I'm going to grind hard. I'm going to enjoy it like probably as much as learning the game initially. And then my feeling was I was going to get to the end of that and be like, oh. And, and the reason I don't look at that as negative right now is you brought up some titles, right? You brought up Valorant. You brought up Mordow. For me, it's still PUBG. I still like to play PUBG. I'm digging Valorant as well. And seasonal type games have a very real place. Diablo 3 found a way to be relevant for a very long time after one of the most chaotic, horrible launches that Blizzard ever did. And they actually turned it into a game that produced money and DLC and is still relevant today on an every other wipe or every third wipe schedule, right? Because I'll still jump back in Diablo when they launch some cool new set and I haven't played a while and I'll play it for a couple weeks and then I'm done. I don't think that's bad as long as that's the end goal, the vision and what they decide to do. And that's why I think it's so fascinating to hear what a veteran thinks and then us new guys and that it's it's a lot closer than I actually thought it was going to be what you thought was critical and then what I thought too. And ultimately it's that vision. Yeah. So I, I was going to say real quick, did you guys ever play Pokemon on Game Boy? Yep. Or, so imagine... Imagine playing Pokemon, and how long did you play the game after you beat the Elite Four? It's the end of the game, right? I don't know about you, but like I, I've replayed it a million times. I was never interested in catching all the things. I didn't care, right? To me, it was beat the gym leaders and beat the Elite Four. But what Tarkov is, Tarkov Endgame is, you've beat the Elite Four. Now go play Pokemon. All of my Pokemon, I've got no one to fight except for random level seven Pidgeys in the grass. and. There's nothing to do. I can go and fight, but why? Yeah. So when the wipe hits, it allows you to play Pokemon over again and choose your starter, and it's exciting again. But then you beat the Elite Four, and 
you're done with the game. Um, so that's how the end of your second or third wipe is going to feel, you know, a couple of weeks in when you've beat the Elite Four and now you can't start the game over again for three months, four months, five months, and half the community is telling you that you're not allowed to restart, not allowed to restart, and please don't, please don't restart. <laughs> well, it's, but you're, you're exactly right, though, because even back to Pokemon, right, Red, by the way, um, the first time you go through, you beat the Elite Four or the Final Four, right, and then you do go, go try to catch everything, and then maybe you get close, and you're like, oh, maybe I want the Bulbasaur, <laughs> you know, and then you, you go back over, and then you never do that again, so it, it's just fascinating that, it for one, that it's stayed relevant for so long, and it was, I mean, again, I think Tarkov... I don't know if you'd call it a niche game for a long time that got some explosive rocket fuel, but it's pretty incredible that it can still keep people playing. It's able to attract brand new players right now and presumably for quite a while, but the vision doesn't match what the game is right now. You know, this this open world MMO with a hub that is, it just keeps going versus this wipe schedule. And it's just interesting to me that the wipe schedule actually is, yeah, there's, I'm sure there's some vocal parts that don't like the idea of losing their character progression, but I'm at the point where I'm ready for it. So it's super interesting. But um, what I'm wondering is if it's missing something, because one of the things about character progression that you have when you get a wipe, you know, think about like creating an alt in a game, right? Like an MMO, your main character unlocks an ability to specifically either help your alt or allow you to play your alt in a different way that doesn't penalize its progression. And Tarkov, they wipe everything as far as I know. I I, I mean, it's just like you're logging in day one again. So you can do that a couple of times, but I, I'm wondering if that is going to just not hold attention of players long term because you can only play the exact same thing, even with minor tweaks and changes so many times. So I'm kind of wondering if they implement something to keep some kind of a piece, you know, a, a, of your progression. Here's the thing. If you take any two characters, just randomly select two characters in Diablo 3 or in World of Warcraft or in Skyrim, how different are they going to be? hugely different. You take any two PMCs in Escape from Tarkov, and the only meaningful difference is how many rubles they have in their stash. If you're level 39 strength versus level 7 strength, I can tell you, I, I can't really tell the difference. Everything levels up so slowly, and you get really such minute, non-meaningful differences because they don't want to make it, you know, you don't want to come up against like Goliath like you would in Diablo 2, a level 2 character versus a level 85 character. It's like, I could just stand in front of you and, and I'm invincible, you know, whereas a, a level 70 character and a level one character in Escape from Tarkov, you swap their gear around and they're, you know, interchangeable. The same health pools, the same skills. One can run slightly faster than the other, can run slightly longer than the other before they get tired. But th that's what the game needs. There's no difference between Bears and USEC. There's no difference. Th and these are all systems that like they've been talking about for years, but I don't know. I just don't see them on the roadmap when Nikita talks about, you know, 12.7, 12.8, 12.9, 13.0. Like, I, I don't know that they're, we're going to get to 13 or 14 or whatever, um, which is when a lot of these systems like traders out in the open world and an open world and all these things that I just don't see them. I just don't see them happening. That's what the game needs. If this is going to be something that, you know, they can finish release and, you know, add DLC content or whatever and, and have it be something that's going to last for for years um, as it is now. To me, it's like a three or four month thing. If they were to release what they have now, it would be big for six months and then it would just fizzle out. And then everybody, right. because then all the casual players who only get to play once a week, they will finally experience the lack of end game. It'll just be six, seven, eight months from now. 
And then the next and then, you know, Riot or whoever is going to come out with a looter shooter that's going to be polished, that's going to have all of the balancing mechanics and be simple and be, you know, whatever and smooth. And, you know, that would be the proverbial death of, of the game, like a game like Tarkov, if, if somebody else came out with something that was more accessible. Yeah, well, and you talked about your software and layering it, right? And the way I look at that as a non-IT guy and having no idea what you guys were talking about in minutes 40 through 50 during the show. But I hear you saying like you're creating something in a platform at its base level so that in the future you can layer it. And now I'm thinking about it like we're not even at the base level that's layerable yet in Tarkov, (laughs) right? And where I was thinking before this, before I started talking just now was I'm thinking about all these systems in this fun versus realism and and should, does it really add anything? I'm sitting here thinking about your comments, uh, Veritas, about the slow progression of skills and the lack of real progression or meaningful that sticks. And I'm thinking about the arena. The arena sounds really cool as like an end game thing where you can go like fight other PMCs, presumably, and, and there's all that stuff there. But then it's like, okay, it could be a further distancing because the people that can grind the skills versus the ones that can't from a time standpoint, right? That could get really interesting. So it's like, does the arena need to not take into account your progression to be a fair or competitive environment? I don't know. Got me spinning on that. Yeah, I mean, it depends on if that assumes a rework of the skill system, which is, again, like there's something that Nikita has said, like, don't worry, the quest system is a placeholder. Then don't worry, the skill system is a placeholder. And don't worry. It's like, okay, well, then I I can't even begin to understand how the game is going to feel if all the things are going to be different and nothing like they are now. Because right now, if arena mode, if, if it took into account your skills, it would, it would they, the skills are, are irrelevant in my opinion. Like really the only thing that ever matters, the only thing that I notice when I go from a level 70 character to a level one when the wipe hits is my endurance. That's the only thing. I don't notice my strength. I don't notice perception. I, I just, they're not, they're not significant enough things that they're meaningful enough that I feel like I've lost something uh, like every other RPG game has. Do you grind out the mastery skills ever, the level 51? Um, I don't grind any of them specifically. Um, I just play the game normally and they level up. So it's really interesting that like I just got level 51 search uh, like last stream, um, but like I'm level seven strength, which is so it's like right. they're trying to balance out these systems and there's clearly imbalances. And so but part of what they say is, oh, well, we're just testing the progression. But what you're seeing now is that the progression is actually condensed to where you should be able to get to like end game in the three months or whatever, uh, four or five months between the wipe. But so what that tells me is that the end result is that the real thing is going to be stretched out. It's going to take you a year. So now if I'm seeing minute changes from January to December, then now you're just making it so that there's literally, it's going to be so drastically meaningless as I progress. It's not like you hit a break point in Diablo 2 and now you're, you know, your casting rates doubled or you're, you know, you've leveled up and your your health just went up 20%. Imagine if every day you got 0.001% faster. You'll never notice the difference. So you never, it, it's never meaningful. So it makes me think like they have to redo the whole skill system to make it meaningful. But in that case, why have we just spent three, four, five years giving them feedback and letting them test this system that exists today. 
I don't know. In my mind, it's it's as simple as like, you know, right now it's just like a ladder. And you guys mentioned this on the podcast, so I don't want to completely rehash it. But it's like, it just seems like right now we have this laddering effect of, you know, I think you guys talked about it in the context of like, you know, your the weight system, for example. Like all of a sudden I can't move, right? I can't sprint anymore. So I'll chuck my adrenaline syringe. But it's like on all these skills, it's like it's the same thing. It's like little tiny, 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 and then boom, mastery skill. And you just like, it's it's just night and day, right? Like on search, being able to search two things at once is a huge advantage in tight quarters, like factory, things like that. So it just seems like there could be a, it might, a linear line just seems so much easier, but it's probably not that give simple. Give me skill points. Give me, when I level up, give me, I, I hate to say it because people will cringe at this, all the hardcore, but give me like five skill points in a skill tree and let me pick some things. Just please, like I, because then if you have like a Skyrim-like system inside of Tarkov where all of the things are meaningful, but design them in such a way that they are meaningful, but, but they're balanced. Like searching two things at once is not going to make it so that I'm unkillable. That's a great example of something that I can choose as something I want to specialize in, but that isn't like huge in terms of combat. Those are the things that, that I would love. I just got level two. Let me pick two things that I can say, well, now I can move 20% quieter. You know, let me get perks as I grow and let them be meaningful so that there's a difference between me and another character. And what's meaningful about that is that the replayability for any one person is now infinite because now I can play and I can go differently. I can go, this guy's going to be a little bit sneakier. I, this guy's going to be tankier. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying like, let's go to where you have like a healer and you have a tank build. And like, I, not to that extent, you know, that everybody that's like hardcore Tarkov, they all cringe and wince at. But like, even if you think about the military, like you look at a, some dudes in the military, like there's the giant jacked dude that's carrying the M249. And then there's, you know, maybe the guy who's a little bit more sneaky with a sniper rifle. And, you know, like there's all sorts of different archetypes of people and soldiers. That's realistic. You know, maybe the, the, the jack guy isn't so, you know, fit in terms of endurance or there's some folks that I know that are in the military that are skinny like me and can't lift anything, but, uh, you know, can be able to outrun the kind of tubby dude that would kill me with my, you know, with his bare hands. These are all things that I think could be interesting and be meaningful. And, and those are the things that they have to keep in mind if they really want the game to survive and be compelling, because the reason why it's held on for so long is because the wipes make things fresh and the promise for like this amazing utopia that we're eventually going to get that we're sort of just taking their word for that's what's keeping us going and i and some part of me is a little bit scared that that utopia is a little bit of a not pipe dream i i because I, I don't think anybody's like been lying to us or anything like that but it's more along the lines of like and maybe we bit off more that we can chew and maybe we promised a little bit more you know, um, we used flowery language, you know, when we talked about things because we really thought we really wanted to do these things. But, you know, life gets in the way and, you know, net code and hackers and engines and. Uh, well, it's like it's crazy, right? Because and again, I don't want anyone to hear this wrong. Like it's not this isn't negative. This is like and I, I know, Eric, I know you're sitting over there, right? Because <laughs> you heard skill tree. And I can feel your classic World of Warcraft welling up. I can feel it. I know it's doing it. That's the crazy part about Tarkov. This game has got to a point where it's got who knows how many daily active users, right? It's a ton. And we can sit here and say, well, they could do this for arena mode. They could do this for skill progression. They could do this 
it all sounds really good. And I think that's the issue is they've created, like you said, 90% of a base game. And it's that like last 10% of like, which element are we going to dig into? Is it going to be the FPS PvP? Is it going to be the MMO? Is it going to be the RPG? Or is it all of them? Like, that's the part that just blows my mind is that they could do any of those. And I still think it would be a phenomenal game. Again, me, I can sit here and I'm, I'm thinking skill tree. And I'm just thinking about my PMC getting jacked so that I can like swing from the rooftops in factory and swing around. But I know that we have a significant portion of our listener base that is all about the rat playstyle and building that ruble count and sneaking and being in the shadows. And that's awesome. They enjoy the game that way. And that, that skill system that you talked about would allow both progression paths to be very meaningful to both. So it's there's so many options in this. And I just I love the discussion on it because it could go so many ways. And that's also the problem <laughs> because it could go so many ways. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here listening kind of to both of you. And the thought actually that I'm having is what the game needs is something for players like both of you who get to this point, right? You need something to look up the hill at. You need something that says, okay, there, there should be a distinction between players who have really invested the time and pushed past, say, level 50. Let's pick an arbitrary mark that's really high and hard to get to. So 50, 55, whatever. That's a lot of time investment to get to that point. It's a high skill level to play at that point. Every MMO game has something like that, whether it's a raid, whether it's a, you know something along those lines that you can only do once you've achieved a certain amount of experience, right? And a certain amount of progression and skill that gets you to that point. So like the idea, it doesn't necessarily have to be PVE, but like having MMR to only match skilled players against each other. So if you really want to be like, who is the best? Have your moment say, well, who's, who really is the best? And start breaking down, trying to Take away that element of luck of the level two clapping the level 70, you know, with the bullet. Just say, no, 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 let's get a bunch of level 70s together and let's find out who the best really is kind of a situation. It could be interesting if they added something like that to the game. And I don't know. What do you think about this? something like that? I mean, that's that's arena. I mean, that's the only based on the thousand times I've heard Nikita talk about this um, and, and how like the history of the game, the only time there's ever going to be any sort of skill-based matchmaking, MMR, ELO, anything like that is going to be in arena mode. Everything else, I'll get as close to saying that's never going to happen, caveating it with it could theoretically, but I would wager a, a pretty decent amount of money that there's never going to be any elements in the game that add significant advantages to your like combat or survival and that there won't be anything like MMR or matchmaking in the normal raid-based gameplay. In arena mode, I can see that and it makes sense, but like the whole vibe, the whole spine, the whole backbone of Tarkov is that anybody can be anywhere at any time, level be darned, everything else, like none of that matters. It would be totally like anti-Nikita, anti-Tarkov to do skill or gear based raid matchmaking just cuz I, I i'm really i really don't think that 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 would ever happen but it, but the interesting element to that what i was saying before with the significant mechanic you know survival combat advantage i mean those are the things in every other rpg game that make it interesting and make end game or middle game versus new game different right like skyrim you have a dagger and you're running up to everybody and smacking them whereas at the end game you're 
you know, Fusro dying people across the map and you have a giant glass sword, you know, and it's almost against, like I said, that the backbone of Tarkov, that those two things would exist that they can't like. So it's really interesting in that, like, I feel like the game has to have these elements that it could never have. Um, and, and the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that, you know, a lot of the systems that you guys are talking about that you're that you're excited to theorycraft and talk about. I was there a long time ago, and a lot of people have were there way, way longer ago. But just know that, like, the last time that we heard Nikita talk, that was, I think, one of the first times that a lot of us were like, wow, I really do think that, like, we're really close to the end. So imagine the complexity based on all of the history and, and what they've done in Tarkov in the last year that you guys have been playing. Um, Actually, to wait, it's been four or five months. Four months. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No. Um, but like, in order to develop a skill tree, just all of the verbiage, translations, the UI, the design of it, what all the skills are going to be, how the system's going to work, the underlying infrastructure. I mean, that's a year's worth of work. There, it's not happening. It's not going to happen. It's like a, just a pipe dream. I, I genuinely feel like those systems are far too complex that they would have had to have been started two years ago or at least been designed two years ago. They're just not going to happen now because four years from now, I don't think that they're still going to be working on Tarkov in the way that we are talking about here. We're really close to the end, a lot closer than I think uh, a lot of people realize. Well, just in this conversation, my mind has changed and the way that I would say it is the game is built right now where there's a basic structure of action RPG, and that's the items, the looting, the inventory, right? And there's a base level of endgame, which is the Kappa container, right? If you really want to grind out the tasks and upgrade your inventory or whatever, you can get the Kappa. And then you've got the RPG elements, which are the skill systems. And there's a, a base level end game there in the mastery skill system. And then the PVP. Well, right now you go to labs or you chat out and night raids on factory or whatever it is, and you see who's the best and you, you stomp around and who knows the angles, who can jump from platform to platform, right? So there's all these base level systems. And then there's like the basic end game in each one. And it just seems like what it's missing is really the end game for, you know, the FPS arena chads the people that really like inventory management, the people that really like the RPG elements and the ability to choose and, and create a path that's that's more dedicated. So I, I, that's not where I would have landed after having this conversation, but it just seems like that's, in my mind, that's the most simplified way I can say it, at least to myself. Yeah, I think that's what separates top down versus bottom up. Like if you think about all of the games that you love and that are successful, the, the replayability comes from... It's almost like a meta game around, you know, like Diablo 2. The first few months I played Diablo 2, I was literally walking around as like a level 7 guy, whacking dudes over the head with my, you know, random magic item. And then like one dude invited me and he said, dude, I'm going to glitch rush you. He's like, just follow me, walk through these portals. And then it was like 40 minutes later, I was in hell, final act in hell as a level 7 character, like... What's going on? Oh, why am I level nine? Wait, I'm level 13. Why am I level 20? What's, what's going on? And then I like the whole replayability came from let me just glitch rush myself and power level to level 90 in three hours, you know, or, or 80 in three hours and then just do like bail runs and do like, you know, chaos runs. And it was like it's almost like different than what the game was intended for. But Skyrim has all these RPG elements. 
there's all these other games that have like competitive elements. And once you get competitive, then the repetition, I mean, every football game is it's football over and over and over again. It's nothing changes. The competitive element, you know, makes it, you know, and there's like championships and, and rewards and stuff like sports is all about and things like CSGO is all about. Tarkov is lacking the one thing that I think really makes the game the game. I think the biggest takeaway from this is the fact that I like I love Nikita to death. I just don't know because he doesn't play the game. And and he says, he, he I mean, he just doesn't have the time. It's like hard to get that understanding, you know, of like, if you've never played Skyrim all the way through, how are you going to know what it feels like to get from one end to the other? So that's what I've been trying to do for like the last year is every now and then I'll talk to Nikita or I'll put out a video where it's like, the game has to change. Like there's the skill system. There's these quest systems. I have like the my critiques of the quest system for the longest time. And, you know, Nikita's basically said, oh, well, the quests are just placeholders. But the fundamental like the system is not a placeholder. The content is a placeholder. It's not going to be go to A and fetch B. It's going to be go to B and fetch C. But it's the fundamental thing didn't change. It didn't make the quest any better because I still have no reason to do the thing or to care about the person or to care about the the, the thing I'm going to grab, or to, to care about why, or how, or who, or when. The universe is largely meaningless. Yeah, so I, I, really, I really think whatever it is they need to do, they need to hone in on, like, how am I going to get lost in this? And how could I get lost in this to where I'd, I could play it every day for six months straight and not get bored with it? Which I know is, like, a hard thing for a lot of people to conceive of, but I've played a hundred games that I could do that with. And unfortunately, the only thing that keeps Tarkov alive is that my save game gets erased, you know? So it's it's kind of like a fake uh, forced sort of end game in that we, there is no end game because we reset you as soon as you get there kind of thing. What's the best way to help them? You know, because we kind of talked about, you know, a while ago uh, when we were talking about developers and how they do interact with the community. What's the most effective way to give constructive like not reddit but constructive feedback you know like if you have ideas there's two ways surprisingly enough reddit is one of them so when somebody is able to go on reddit and not just post like a meaningless rant but the folks that say i have an idea here's some screenshots i marked uh, mocked up here are three points with a summary those things have made it into the game before people say i want you to revamp this system and here's how i should do that and here's how this menu could be made better from a ux perspective they've made those changes nikita's super receptive to that stuff um the alternative is basically the same exact thing except in video form on youtube which is what i've been doing and which is part of what i why i started and and why i got so passionate about like this bug exists and here's why i think it's a problem it was totally different than let me report a bug in the launcher because you report a bug on a launcher i don't know it just feels like you're sending a letter to the White House. Like it's just it's meaningless. It's not going to nothing's going to change. Right. But a YouTube video that is well made and or a post that's well made is the equivalent of you're at like a town hall and, and the president is up at the front and you get to raise your head and say, I have a question. And you get to say the thing to them directly. Reddit and YouTube are are the ways to do that. And really, there have been a ton of people, both content creators and non-content creators alike, that have had their voices heard. You just got to make it concise, clear, and constructive. Yep. Non-confrontational, right? Nice. Well, and I think as as you're listening to this, you probably realize that <laughs> we're, we're having a little chat over our little Discord chat. And uh, 
jokingly, I asked Veritas how he's doing on time. He said, I'm good forever. And the problem is we could keep digging into these crazy rabbit holes and really going into these awesome systems. But what this is meant to do is start a conversation. Um, I want to point out something that, you know, if you have constructive feedback, I mean, Veritas just told us the way to do that. So if you're somebody that, you know, you're like, I don't know how to do that, Reddit. It's a great place. You know, our Discord is is crazy active with stuff like that. So another good place to do it. And I mean, frankly, a lot of stuff that gets talked about in the Discord, we end up at least commenting on or even doing full segments on the show. So again, I, I think at this point, what I want to do is uh, we always have this kind of little fun section at the end. Again, just so we just so we don't go too deep down the rabbit hole. And and maybe down the road we get you back on the show and and dig into some more of this stuff as we see how it how it rolls out. But what we like to do here is go into what it's quick fire, rapid fire, whatever you want to call it. And we just have a, a couple questions that you know we want quick answers. Um, there's nothing in here that's designed to get you you off base. Uh, but we'll just alternate asking and uh, just quick answer what comes to the top of mind, and we'll do that. And then uh, after that, we'll uh, we'll do some promotional type stuff. So. Uh, are you ready for some quick fire questions, sir? Hit me. All right. Favorite gun? RSAS. Favorite map? Factory. What's the number one thing that you would recommend for the pre-wipe period for people that are in their first or second wipe right now? Learn a little bit basics about ballistics and how to click on people's heads. Underrated ammo type besides SP5. Oh, God. I uh... <laughs> got him. <laughs> 856A1 or 855A1. Most underrated loot area? Factory. The whole thing. Your favorite loot area? Uh, labs, wherever a bunch of raiders walk out of. Backwards, usually not looking at you. Diablo 2 gets remastered in modern graphics and the season starts tomorrow. What spec are you rolling? Hammerden. Tarkov system you would remove? Oh, God. Uh, hydration and energy. If you had the ability to, what Tarkov system would you add tomorrow? Karma. And last one, as a kid, what was the one thing you wanted from Guitar Center that you now have as an adult? Like 30 guitars of over the last 70 years, spanning all types, colors, shapes, and sizes. Is there one that you're particularly protective or fond of? Every, I, oh, no. I, just, I, I literally just got, you know, Steve Miller from the Steve Miller Band? I have one of his guitars, a 53 Gibson I just bought a couple days ago. I've got a few that are like my dream guitars from every year from 16 to 17, 18. I've, now I'm at the point where it's just like I'm picking up every dream guitar that I ever wanted over the years that I could never have. Now I have the ability to. So It's awesome. It's awesome. It's great. So what I want to do really quick is give you the chance to, uh, maybe not quick, I want to give you the chance to tell people about your content, what's coming up, where they can find you, where they can interact with you, all of that stuff. But before we do that, I just sincerely want to say thanks, man. I mean, we obviously love talking about Tarkov. We could do it all the time. We love your videos. We promote your videos in the Discord and our community loves them. So I think this is going to be really fun for them to hear and listen to and get out there. So just a sincere uh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. No, thank you guys. I mean, this was this was a pleasure. It was a ton of fun, as you as you can see, and as you know, I I could talk forever about any of these things. I I I uh, I love it. But yeah, I mean, like I'm I'm live on Twitch. Uh, even though I work full time, I'm I'm live generally six days a week, either from midnight to nine in the morning, um, before work 
or from like 5, 6 p.m. to about midnight after work, just depending on sometimes I flip flop my schedule. So I'm, I'm live pretty much every day. You can find me on Spotify, SoundCloud, all of the Apple Music, you know, Google, Amazon Music, whatever, um, under the name Veritas. Of course, um, I have a bunch of albums, d- dozens of songs ranging from primarily like lo-fi, chill, electronic stuff, um, as well as like synthwave, retrowave. I have some progressive rock stuff, some piano stuff, just feel good, chill out music that uh, anybody's free to use on their streams, um, you know, listen to and and, and, and whatnot. I have uh, my Instagram um, is VeritasWTF. Where I've been, I've been trying to post more, you know, more IRL stuff about my computers, my gear, my guitars, kind of behind the scenes. A little bit less Tarkov. I've been trying to to, to move away from that and, and more, you know, IRL there. Twitter and my Discord is usually where I'm posting news and updates about what I'm doing. You can, uh, if you go to my Twitch channel, uh, there's a, a link to the Discord down there, um, underneath the, uh, the the video viewer there, um, and then my Twitter is. Uh, Veritas Games, um, V-E-R-I-I-T-A-S Games. That's where I'm saying I'm going live or where I'll post pictures of stuff, either Tarkov related or upcoming videos. I'll tease to stuff like that. And then, of course, my YouTube channel where I'm, I'm putting anywhere from three to six videos a week having to do with all sorts of memes to science to testing videos to stream highlights and stuff like that. So really, I, I just I'm trying to put out as much content as I can that is either informative helpful and useful or hilarious and you know can can make you have a a good time um on stream i'm usually raiding in tarkov and then in between raids i'll take out my guitar um rather than stare at the loading screen i'll be you know rocking along to some uh polyphia or something playing some some jazz taking requests playing some classics uh i just try to have a, a good time and uh you know have everybody enjoy and learn so that's what i'm all about but again, thank you guys so much for having me on. Like this was so much fun and 100% if you ever need somebody to come on, you ever want somebody to come on anytime, talk about anything, uh, I'm totally down. Sweet. Yeah. Well, I just want to emphasize, just say thanks again, man. It's been awesome having the conversation with you and having you on the show. And I've really appreciated the the IT nerd in me has really appreciated as well as I'm also a music nerd as well. And, and I just uh, appreciate all those things and the conversation around everything. Want to let everyone know we're going to have links to all of Veritas's stuff in the description of this. If you're watching this on YouTube, we'll have all the in the description of the video. Everything's going to be there. If you're listening to this on your favorite podcast app, of which there are many, there'll be uh, descriptions there and you can check out everything. Highly, highly encourage you to check out everything he does. It's all quality. It's stuff that Mike and I have really enjoyed and it's helped us really get into Tarkov and understand the systems in Tarkov and it's it's just high quality stuff and we're very thrilled to have gotten the chance to to talk with you, man. So thanks again. Thank you. Well that's pretty much it. Uh do you have any closing thoughts, Trigger? Nope. Just uh <laughs> I'm just thinking about editing, man, and I think about all the stuff that you do, Veritas, and I'm just like for me, I'm like, man, we 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 did a good one here. This is a long one. And uh I mean you you know the you know the editing cycle, so we love doing it, but I uh I now have a deeper appreciation for just how much stuff you edit and put out there. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any closing thoughts for us, Veritas, before we take this out? I uh, just hope everybody stays safe, both in and out of raids. Yeah. And we, yeah, we all echo that very much so. Well, all right, that's it. 
as everyone knows, we're starting to see that green bar appear over us, which means we've we've made it to the exfil. We're seconds away from disappearing. So we want to thank everybody for watching. Thank everybody for listening. Remember, you can find the show on iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher under Exfil Podcast and as well on YouTube at youtube.com slash xpmedianow, where we also have guides and other content. That's pretty much it. We hope everyone has a great week and good luck and scab often. See you guys. See ya.